and the recording bots are now in the picture. <laughs> All right. And we're live-ish. Well, not on the, not on the recording. We're live with, with, with everybody here at Flail Forward. My name is Rob. I'm here tonight with uh, Mark. Hi, Mark. Hello. I'm here Hi. with Cavoir. Hi. I'm here with Catrice. Catrice is here. Yes, I am. Jonathan's here-ish, although he's not. he might not say anything right now. And we're also here with Jason Pitta. Thank you. And we're going to talk about his game that is coming up on Kickstarter, or actually, as you're listening to this, probably on Kickstarter right now. Go back it because it looks dope. Uh, Sig, 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 Sig. All right. It, I, now, is it a truncated sigil? I mean, I'm getting a very planescapey vibe it off of it. It is legally distinct from legally distinct Sig. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's put it this way: this is the second version of the setting. The previous mm -hmm. one was Thig Manual of the Primes. Ah, cool. Cool. So, yes, not Planescape. Very nope. not that thing. We, totally not Planescape. No. No. Nope. Wink. Um, <laughs> but totally not Planescape. But it looks cool. Forged in the Dark, too. So we're getting some, we're getting some mechanics that we all know and love. Uh, mashed together into a setting that is legally distinct, but we all know and love. I'm, I'm <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm excited to. So, so tell us about like uh, a little bit about how um, you you got into this particular rabbit hole. Okay, so this is a deep rabbit hole. Cool. Um, I've been working at the professional level uh, for about ten years at this point. <laughs> And in 2013, I released my first game, uh, which was titled Spark. It was a world-building game about challenging your beliefs. Um, it was a first game. Uh, <laughs> oh, we know what that's like, yeah. <laughs> during the Kickstarter that? process, I wound up stumbling into the idea of, wait a second, this is all about a game about world building and challenging your beliefs. What if you set that in Planescape? <laughs> so that was a stretch goal that I never quite reached, but I developed that into a supplement for Spark. Mm -hmm. which worked out fairly well, and then I developed it into a standalone game. Mm -hmm. So that's three Kickstarters deep at this point. <laughs> uh, yeah. And uh, the standalone game is Sig Manual of the Primes, which is still mm -hmm. using the same underlying system. Uh, the fun little tech there is... Um, so the, the main element of Spark is that as you play, you gain currency that lets you change the fundamental things you believe in. And these are questions you're struggling with. So for instance, nationalism, sorry, several beers in, uh, nationalism is a poison or greed is good. Mm -hmm. So you, as you play through these and gain evidence that supports or refutes them, uh, you wind up getting the ability to change these beliefs. 
So that got brought into Sig Manual the Primes. And when you change your beliefs, you change the multiverse. Cool. Uh, okay. So effectively, you shift the city towards your ideology. Mm-hmm. Okay, so are you playing as like a more powerful being than others, like sort of a nope. god or just normal person? Nope, you're just a... Re- well, I mean, you can be a demigod, but the the fundamental premise is that the in this city connected to the eternal planes of existence, everything's very wibbly-wobbly. Um, there's always three planes connected to the city at a time. And the uh, whenever uh, things change... You get an influx of newcomers. There's a massive destabilization. Uh, the Plane of uh, Flames had the tether. So everything was made of solid fire. There was a bunch of salamanders and fire ifrit and uh, fire hearts running around. And then the Plane of Wind took over. So you get a bunch of wind elementals that come in and kick out the uh, salamanders and take take over their neighborhoods. Um, Wait, to that kind fan of... the flames. Yep. Ah. So it's pretty much the <coughs> gradual change of cities, just ten times as fast. Hmm. I mean, that's not really a bad thing necessarily. Maybe a hundred times as fast. But... <laughs> um. <laughs> That would make it a little bit interesting. It's interesting. <laughs> uh, That's a good so... way to generate a hell of a lot of conflict. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Pretty yeah. much. Um, so that's the base setting. And as I went through this, uh, this was contemporary, uh, contemporary yes, with the launch of the Blades in the Dark uh, Kickstarter. Hmm. Uh, And I'd been following along with the progress of Blades. And I recognized that some of the elements that I was bringing to the table were very well reflected in Blades. Mm -hmm. I had effectively the old Planescape guilds, which are philosophers with clubs. Mm -hmm. Uh, I brought that in to have all sorts of faction politics and or stabbings in back alleys. And I recognized that the robust uh, faction tier system that they had for in Blades was a perfect fit. Mm-hmm. So over the intervening years, I've been tinkering with it, working with it, um, uh, working with the SRD, and I've been refining that to make a Blades in the Dark, Forged in the Dark um, variant of SIG. Mm, okay, cool. Um, that is exploring more of the faction politics, taking territory, uh, that kind of thing, mm-hmm. um, rather than the personal, emotional, uh, uh, here's my relationship and my religious beliefs kind of thing that was more of the anchor for the Manual of Primes. Cool. So it's, it's you're kind of coming at your this setting from a, from a sort of different attack vector. So you get a different perspective on exactly. this the setting rather than inspecting it from the emotional tethers 
you're yep. inspe inspecting it from the factional clashes. Yep. Neat. Okay, cool. Is there still and, and it's a big enough setting that there's a bunch of other angles I could take. Mm -hmm. I totally want <clears throat> just like the gods fighting each other. Uh <laughs> struggling for position with cults and everything and just put that in the middle. Of the <laughs> uh. Yeah, it makes sense. But uh, do, yeah. you, do you feel that there's still like uh, in terms of the feel of the game, is there still a strong overlap from Manual of the Primes or is this really like a totally different take on the same setting? Uh, there's still a strong feel. It's more of a it, it's it's a focus. Okay issue um th there's still a lot of overlap you're still using the same fictional content um the same conflicts exist right. in manual of the primes right it's just the way that... i just in manual of the primes i literally tie all the characters together with npcs so it's all set for like incestuous uh family drama <laughs> okay cool this is just a little bit more uh, operational heist oriented. Right. Hmm. Did, did you Very find cool. yourself? Um. Did you find yourself? Uh. Let me ask it a different way. How much of the mechanics of Blades in the Dark did you end up modifying or tweaking towards uh, making making it work better? And for I mean, did you like go like just full? We're just going to do heists in this thing, and it's going to be like heists set in Planescape, or is it going to handle a little bit more where there's going to be some more? It's like at a fiction, the factional stuff, but more, more like a broader focus. And like how the mechanics so, tweak. Yeah. My original goal mm -hmm. was um, so, uh, for context, this was a stretch goal for the <laughs> manual right. primes of I will work on this. You ain't getting this for free, but I'll work on it. Uh -huh. Um, and so I was trying to, like, my first uh, pass was, it's just going to be a simple reskin. It's going to be fine. It'll be simple, minimal work. Yet, no. Yeah. It's <laughs> 30,000 words at this point. Um, yeah. Yet, no. Uh, because as I went through it, I started noticing, oh, that thing annoys me when I run Blades. Just tweak this. Hey, this bit could be better suited mm -hmm. to um, the gameplay experience. Right. So I wound up changing more than I originally planned. Mm -hmm. um, if you want the greatest hits. Um, so... One of the key elements of SIG is that you're dealing with a whole bunch of conflicting and overlapping identities. Effectively, everyone is made out of multiple identities. So in um, the uh, City of Blades, you effectively ha choose three components to your character. One is your culture. This affects uh, your... Um, uh, your ins. Sorry, I'm trying to recall the order of these things. Uh, yeah. So your insight, um, attribute and the associated actions. Mm -hmm. 
Then you have your lineage, which reflects your prowess, mm -hmm. and your devotion, which repl reflects your resolve. Okay. So effectively, you can mm -hmm. say, I'm a courtier giant who worships Feralux the Whisperer. And each of these things affects these different arenas of play, of the uh, intellectual, the physical, and the social. Mm -hmm. um, so it's effectively, it's a three-part character sheet. Okay, how much bleed over is there between these aspects? Like, are they fairly distinct from one another? Or do they tend to influence each other and start making a mess when you get into conflicts? Uh, define making a mess. Like, yes, they make a mess. They totally make a mess. Um, but... So, theoretically, um, there's many different kinds of giants. So you can have... 10 different giants, and they're all from different cultures. Mm -hmm. So one's a courtier giant, uh, whereas another one is an alchemist giant. So mm -hmm. it effectively, by doing it this way, um, we wind up setting up um, 10 of each option. So you get a lot of different interesting combinations in play. So it makes the setting feel a lot bigger than it uh, would otherwise be. Mm -hmm. um, and each of these components offers two potential advances. So you get a total of six advances, which is similar to what you get on a normal crew play, uh, right. play sheet. Mm -hmm. um, but they're all based on the bits that make you up. Mm. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, so, um, so immediate you're... question that I have here. Sorry. Yep. But Go for it. I have this need to know. So <laughs> you've already stated that you can basically change these aspects of yourself. You can change what you believe. So it may not just be the aspect of like, you know, who your patron deity or whatever it is. Like, can you actually start changing things like your actual lineage to some degree? Like, you, like it's not just what you start off with. You actually yep. can start changing this, and this changes oh, with oh, options. Yeah, uh, there's totally. Uh, so I it actually explicitly talk about this. That things like, um, effectively, found family is family. Mm -hmm. So if. A um a gnome is adopted by a winged, uh, um, then she might wind up growing uh and growing wings because <laughs> now that's her family. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it's like something like morphic field resonance. Yep, fun yeah, fundamentally. Yeah, cool. Yeah. So yeah, no. <laughs> Zig <laughs> is a fun, weird place. <laughs> Sweet. I, I really no, like wait. this idea. You said that was for gnomes, right? Sorry. Uh, that that was just a gnome is one of the random groups. Um, so a gnome might turn into a winged. I am so sorry for interrupting you, Mark. It's just 
no. gnomes and wings, it means that you can hunt <laughs> them twice as far. I have a hatred against gnomes. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um, it is the yeah. it is the only allowable racism there is. What? Wow. Sorry. wow. <laughs> um, honestly, one thing that I'm actually being super careful about mm. is being careful about gnomes because of the coding. Because mm. a lot of gnomes are coded in a Jewish way, and I don't want to incidentally, oh. accidentally put oh. that in names. Oh, that came, that came down really bad on you and there, cat. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I, hey, I, 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 didn't I, I, like, I have stumbled into that and realized, oh, oh, no. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. All right. I need to be careful on that end. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I hey, that. that is the reason why I, I offer no no mate. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm like, I mean, screw them. Right, all of them. Right, yeah. I mean, they literally—that was their class, right? In first edition, it was thief. Just halfling thief was the was the 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 race class. Well, yeah, in basic, in basic, they were automatically thieves. Yes. Um. (laughs) Sorry, I'm dating myself somehow. (laughs) It's fine. As the person who knows nothing about D and D, half this conversation is just nonsense. (laughs) Oh, of course. I, I was to, to bring it back to uh, the way that you're designing this. I really like the idea of the the attributes being reflective of where your character has come from. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I'm thinking of is that this is basically a sort of a replacement for then the hard um, uh, playbooks, um, but those also provide a way for players to sort of have a niche protection of like this is the kind of thing that my character is doing. This is what I want to be doing in the game. Uh, with the ability of like mixing and matching, how are you tackling that issue of what people get to do or how their character gets to feel like they're playing an important part of the group? So fundamentally, when you bake it bake it down, um, all of these components each have two attribute uh, right. two action dots. So you're all going to be roughly within the same ballpark in all three domains you get an extra point to allocate as you choose but there's Mm. not going to be a huge amount of specialization right off the bat now the specific advances that you're grabbing from each of these components and how those combine you get all sorts of fun feet combo um math going on okay so that's how you get more of your focus and specialization. More immersion because from you... the company. Yeah. Interesting. That's very cool. And that, that again kind of says a lot about if you're you're trying to create this culture, this the setting that has this multiculturalism, each of these different combinations is gonna have a really unique place that, that it plays in in the game, which is really nice. Yep. Uh, and you choose which of these six advances you're taking. So right. normally, you start with two of six advances. Mm-hmm. Uh, and these advances can be anything from uh, scoundrel, poker face, gain special armor against anyone detecting your um, motivations or emotions. Cool. Or uh, 
<laughs> Asigil art. Those are fun ones. Uh, they're living tattoos. Uh, that gain, slowly gain control over a host or inanimate vessel. Um, <laughs> cool. Hot swap. Uh, they can uh, change hosts very quickly and uh, temporarily, only taking minutes. Otherwise, it would normally take them um, days to change hosts. Mm. Cool. Wow. So by choosing this, you are defining some really interesting things about right. your character. Yeah. So wait the the living tattoos is this something from like the actual like Planescape? Like I don't actually I never actually nope. looked at Planescape beyond Planescape Torment, and they definitely had the living tattoos in that. Um. So th this was actually derived from a uh, little writing experiment that, um. Uh, Robin Laws did on Live Journal way back in the day. It was a collaborative world building experiment, uh, experiment called Corad, and this was one of the ideas that came out. And it was so fun that I kind of needed to bring it in. Yeah, because <laughs> living tattoos that possess hosts—that's yeah, great. That's great. In fact, one of the dudes we had on not two weeks ago, that's his entire game. Like, that's... <laughs> the parcelings, it's, it's, it's like, that's the whole thing. It's like it's living, like, tattoos that do stuff. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's, there's... So, okay, so one of the things that, that's, that's really... Um, they're really uh, cements Blades in the Dark as, like, a heist game. I'm curious what you did here is the downtime actions. Uh, and that's like, they're, they're, yep. they're pretty rigid in terms of like what you do. And it's something that I found is, is like a little too rigid, a little too mechanical in that section. Like, so for the first like four or five sessions, it goes fine. And then players inevitably will start wanting to do more in the downtime. Um, right. Or even like role play more, you know? So like, but, but the downtime actions are real specific. It's like, you know, uh, they're like reduce heat, which is like reduce your wanted level. Um, you know, they're, they're acquire an item, um, attend to your vice, deal with like some, uh, problem that arose because of your previous heist, you know, deal. And there's, there's a couple of actions that are pretty specific. So how do you, how did you, um, like modify those to do something that's less heist specific, say? Oh, there's a couple elements here. Mm -hmm. One is... When I was going through Blades, one of the, my first instinct was, where are places that I can hard code things with the full understanding that if it doesn't work, the GM will break the rules? Hmm, okay. So I hard code a progression between uh, the different elements of play. Uh, so uh, where's that section? So, um, there's, uh, for the phases of play, uh, I have set up drama, which was normally the free role play session, mm -hmm. followed by missions, followed by downtime. Mm -hmm. And it's hard-coded that that is how it works. And there's only certain kinds of roles that you can make. Uh, in each sec uh, section. Mm -hmm. So, 
drama can only have action roles and fortune roles. Okay. Missions can have action, resistance, and fortune. Downtime can have fortune and preparation. Okay. Preparation are pretty much your standard downtime actions. Got it. Right. But because I put in, you can also do fortune. Mm-hmm. That lets you effectively deal with those edge cases of, um, I want to uh, go and spend time impressing uh, the father of the gentleman I'm courting. Mm-hmm. Like uh, that. Okay, that's not in a standard downtime action. Right. So, right. um, I bake it in uh a a bit there, uh, mm-hmm. to give a little bit more um flexibility to account for that. I uh, but yeah, there's a lot of trying to nail things down because the amount of subjectivity behind blades I've found causes a lot of stress on new uh, GMs. It's hard to get started running that game because there's so much what would you like to do? A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, or I. Right. Or something else. <laughs> um, which, if you're an experienced GM, is fine. Mm-hmm. But if you are new to the system or new to running games at all. It's a bit of a barrier. So. Yeah. I, yeah. I find it, <clears throat> I agree because, because of the freeform nature of the procedure to play, you're, 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 you have to like, you're necessarily called upon to react to what the players are doing. And so if you yeah. don't have that, improv muscle like at the ready then yeah blades in the dark can be the kind of thing where you're like you're kind of lost for what should happen you know blades in the dark relies a lot on what should happen and it it trusts the players to to kind of know that uh so if you're if that's not something you're used to doing because you're used to using an adventure module or something like that where you have a b choices or something yeah blades in the dark can be that kind of thing where it's where you can be kind of in the ocean without a compass, you know, and you're just like, well, every direction yeah. looks kind of okay. I should make something bad happen, but what? Uh, yeah. And that's actually on one of the other things that I was changing mm-hmm. uh, for City of Blades. Consequences. Mm. So I took a lesson from uh, The Spire by Rowan Rook and Deckard. Um, and how they handle their followed options. So I ranked all of the consequences into minor, uh, moderate, and major. Mm -hmm. If you have low stress, you only suffer minor consequences. Mm -hmm. If you have a moderate amount of stress, you can suffer minor or moderate consequences. And if you have a lot of stress and you're this close to filling up your track, well, then you get some really nasty ones. <laughs> um, so you might, so a minor one might be stumble, you lose control of a situation. Uh, oh, this will cost you a coin. You've attracted mm-hmm. attention. Here's a minor wound. 
Moderate might be you're in heavy debt to an organization or an individual. You're cursed. There's significant property damage and collateral damage. Um, you're, you, you got a medium wound there. Mm-hmm. Or major is um, someone has you be- between a rock and a hard place, forcing you <laughs> to do something you'd rather avoid. Right. Uh, or something's gone horribly awry and everyone blames it on you. <laughs> <laughs> so, See, this immediately right. makes me wonder if these can cascade out of control. Like, you uh-huh. start off, oh, you just, you just, oh, you just lose a coin. It's like, I don't have any coins. Okay, so you're in debt. <laughs> like, does that immediately go that way? Because I'm kind of wondering. <laughs> Um, well, there's a lot of um, GM discretion going on there. Um, so, like, I, I would... Oh, if you're out of coin, I will totally drop a debt on you. If one of your fellow freebooters happens to have coin on them. Right. To force that uncomfortable conversation. <laughs> that, that's all that's I want. Amazing. Yeah, that's great. It it seems to me like it's the way you've designed it is also nice because there's sort of this spiral up and spiral down where yep. you can if you're if you're keeping things at a pretty even level or you're just starting off the game, it's likely that your consequences aren't going to get too extreme right away. But once you start yep. resisting some of those, you build up that stress. You you've kind of set yourself up to take on bigger and bigger challenges and bigger and bigger risks, um, and that's the nice escalation that you sort of willingly take on as you're yep. trying to to advance in the story. So I really like that to the point that it builds the drama of the session really nicely at the end where everyone's maxed out on their stress, bad consequences are happening left and right, and you're trying to decide whether or not to take the risk of stressing yourself out to resist it and that kind of, it's it's a really and nice And as you play. get, there is also harm mm-hmm. that forces you to take more stress. Right. Oh. How's that work? Because it, 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 well, if you are, you have less effect when you get a certain amount of stress, certain right. amount of harm, uh, you're incapacitated and you need to push yourself if you want to take an action at a mm. certain level of harm. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just base blades. Right, mm. right. But because of that, the more harm you get, the more it shoves you higher on the consequence right. ladder. Yep. Mm. Mm-hmm. Very nice. That's, um, that's fun. Hmm. So the real fun bit here. Um, mm-hmm. Instead of having trauma when you max out your stress, you have burnout. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you, uh, I changed it around, and your options are uh, fatigue. Um. Uh, the unrelenting pressure leaves you utterly exhausted, irritable, and depressed. The nightmares and deep thoughts keep, and dark thoughts keep you distracted. You can perform one fewer action in down, downtime. Mm-hmm. Apathy. Stress wears on you and steals joy from your heart. Fulfilling your drives no longer assists you with preparation actions. So effectively, it, it, you're, you have a harder time with prep, mm-hmm. with downtime actions. Isolation. You find yourself pushing others away and alienating those close to you. Remove positive relationships. You have less effect on things involving emotional intimacy. Ouch. And vice. The standard uh, (laughs) removing stress rules from blades apply now. (laughs) (laughs) 
Right. When you fill them all up, you retire. You're done. Ew. So it's all... So yeah, the more stress, the more you get burnt out, and you become apathetic, exhausted, isolated from everyone you love, and driven to vice. Hmm. Seems fitting. Yeah. (laughs) So basically you just turn into essentially like an alcoholic or whatever your vice is kind of thing. Yep. Wow. Yep. Okay, Hmm. so question then becomes is there any way like you retire the character, they're basically gone, but they still exist in the world. They're not dead. Is there any kind of situation where you could come across the character again as an NPC and potentially solve their problems to get them back into playable status again? Oh. Uh, you know how lifestyle works? Normally. Oh, yeah. she doesn't. <laughs> the rest of us do, but <laughs> I just want to explain it very quickly. I should, but I haven't read through it yet. So normally, the way that uh, lifestyle works is you save coin so that when you retire, it determines how well you're doing at the end. Okay. Um, so um, if you save a little bit of coin you retire to some hostile backwater prime world full of scarcity and danger. A little bit more, you can retire to some unremarkable prime world and try to make a more normal life. Then you can retire to a civilized prime world where you actually make yourself a new life, operating a small business like a tavern, merchant shop, or artisan's workshop. Or then you retire to a wondrous prime world where your riches have granted you a decadent lifestyle. You may choose to work or rest as you desire. So the okay, more money you get, of... the better your retirement is. Yeah, these all kind of take you away from, you know, the city and blades. Yeah, the, 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 we're dragging you out. You're still around. If someone wants to, you know, hunt you down uh, for good or for ill, that's still totally possible. Uh, but or... one of your motivations is to save enough money in your Swiss bank account so that you could run away to a nice paradise world instead of being stuck on, um, oh god, what's the name of uh, Dark Suns? Oh, Athos. Planet? Athos, yeah. thank you. Yeah, <laughs> you don't want to retire on Athos. No. <laughs> <laughs> From my no. limited understanding, that is not retirement. Yeah, or Ravenloft, or you know, whatever. Take your pick of <laughs> take your pick of those, those prime material planes that suck ass as, as like a general rule. Yeah, you said there's always three of the planes attached to the city, so you yep. never know. You might get rotated back in whether you want it or not. Uh, <laughs> so, um, the infinite planes are things like the plane of flame, plane of lore, plane of life, and the prime worlds are. Um, sort of the mortal worlds. Mm-hmm. So you're running off to one of the mortal worlds as far away from the magical crap as you can manage. <laughs> right. 
Yeah. Th this is the you run off and become a farmer because, oh God, that city is just messed up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, you can get mugged by demons. Any city where you can get mugged by demons, <laughs> probably skip it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, demons aren't nearly as bad as angels. Have you ever been mugged by an angel? No. <laughs> no. They're no. so judgy. <laughs> so does it um does oh. it maintain the flexibility of uh blades uh where you can sort of introduce new characters um kind of on the fly? Yep. Yeah, uh uh I maintain that because that's that's just fantastic tech. Um yeah, like you, you said you start them with two of the two of the six advancements from a thing. So yeah. the, the the character disparity is probably not that high, like even lower than core blades from my understanding. Yeah. So, you know, I mean the advances are radically different from each other. So mm -hmm. that does give some differentiation, but yeah. Hmm. When you were talking earlier about um, Manual of Primes, um, you had mentioned that you said all the PCs are interconnected with these NPCs. Like it's kind of yep. this, this soup of how they all uh, fit together. Did you take yep. the same approach with City of Blades, or do you have um, uh... less so? Okay, but I mean, there's still a moderately strong relationship aspect. Um, it's tied into the experience system, okay, a little bit more. Um, but in this version, I was aiming less on the relationships than I was on in Manual of the Primes, just okay. because I'm aiming for a different lens on the setting. Right, because I um, I find that with Blades, sort of the the uniting front is that everyone's together for sort of the crew. Um, yeah. And I'm just wondering how you decided to take that shift, if it's very much taking the Blades approach, or if you're trying to draw some aspect of Manual Primes into that. So, uh, the way that I do this is, so there's a bunch of different political factions. Mm -hmm. The uniting factor here is that all of you are, mem are members of one of the three uh, core factions. Uh, so... You are either uh, Glimmer Knights who are working for the Performers Guild, uh, members of the Order of Ashen Keys working for the Sage Collegium, or uh, Daughters of the Raven working for the Herald's Guild. So that is your crew. Okay, cool. Uh, but it, because your crew is your faction... Uh, which is also tied into one of the element, one of the uh, planes. So there's a lot of um, that's effectively the nexus of connection for all the characters. Okay. Uh, if you are one of the heralds, you know a lot of heralds. You've got family in the heralds, uh, etc. Right. Makes sense kind of grounds the crew as well with that sort of um, their, their interconnections are already sort of created based on where that yep. 
that faction comes from. So mm -hmm. that's that's yep. really nice to to have like these different launching off points depending on what kind of crew you want to start off with. And each faction has a set of uh, four contacts. Okay. Okay. And you all have relationships with these contacts. Mm -hmm. Cool. Uh, which means that you'll get a bunch of conflicting relationships with uh, Ileana Smoke Dancer. So, right. you know, she was my ex. Uh, she's my sister. Right. Got it. Okay. Interesting. Yep. That's super oh, cool. That's a great way to start a war among yeah. your own allies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I, I'm curious. Or um, strong camaraderie. Or strong camaraderie. Yeah. 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 We both hate her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm curious. So um, this feels like uh, a much more magical setting than than Core Blades is. In, in Core Blades, we've got uh some magic we got the ghost field that the characters attuned to to do ghostly stuff and we have some sort of lightning yeah. type magic but in a setting like this where i'm we, where you've got all these planes and stuff like that i'm guessing there's yeah. elemental magic all over the place as well as yeah. like every kind of planar magic you can freaking imagine because why would you not and there's literally and, gods walking around so yeah, yeah. no you're yeah. right okay so 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 how does so so um but Blades in the Dark doesn't really have an isolated magic system. They they make it part of the, the core upgrades or, and sort of bake it into the setting like that. Do you do something more like that where like the, the planar, um, your culture, lineage, and devotion are the what's granting you magic? Or do you have like a separate magic thing that's different? Uh, a lot of them are baked into specific advances. Mm, okay. Um, so for instance... Uh... If you are worshipping Morkana the Sheltering Stone, mm -hmm. as the primordial of stone, Morkana is bound to the rock and soil. As one of their servitors, you may channel in order to shape stone like a sculptor does clay. Okay, cool. So you choose that advance, and now you can stone shape. Mm -hmm. um, or burning hands if you're a fire heart, or something like that. Um. Now, effectively, a tune got replaced with channel, which is functionally the same thing, mm -hmm. but it um, handles any kind of pulling in of magic or divine power, etc. Uh, so, because that's a base action, um, and it's a little bit more active than a tune, right. that yeah. sort of gives you that flexibility. Um, mm -hmm. There's also things like, oh, Wreck can totally involve you uh, opening a rift to the plane of fire to destroy a place. Right. That's fine. Okay, cool. Right. That that's that. Yeah, that makes sense. Because like you know, if you've got that that sort of thing as part of your repertoire, it makes sense that you'd take that action, yep. and, and then that would be how you how you carry it forward. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Neat. Um, hmm. uh, oh, and I also merged. Uh, reputation and heat. Okay, talk to me about that. That's interesting. Uh, so, you have a stat, a, a uh, your crew has a stat called infamy. Mm -hmm. And as infamy increases, uh, effectively, at the end of every uh, score, 
you wind up rolling for fallout. And you roll one die for every point of infamy that you have. Okay. Uh, and then every point that would be uh, effectively the more dice you roll, the more potential fallout conditions you get. Mm-hmm. When you fill up your infamy track, it clears and you advance as a crew. Hmm. So that can be increasing a tier or gaining a new crew advance uh, or the like, or increasing your hold. Okay. Hmm. So, so until you actually max out, the consequences get harder and harder. So you want to be very judicious in how many dead bodies you leave lying around. Mm-hmm. Because you want to make a statement, mm-hmm. but exactly the right amount of statement. Okay. All right. Interesting. So, okay. So, so one of so because you have heat and reputation being the same thing, did you get away? Did you do away with like crew experience as a thing, or or did you tie all the advances uh, into the into the? I, oh, I I tied them all into that. So okay. when you. So uh, the way that it works, let me just go. Oh, I happen to be in this section. Uh, so uh, the infamy track has six boxes. Mm-hmm. Um, if you control more claims territory than your, than your tier, you can spend coin to upgrade. Okay. Otherwise, you gain a faction advance. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. So you so, have to have territory. Okay, so territory is kind of like your cap. On, yeah. on how big, like, that makes sense on your tier. And then, yeah. Hmm, okay. So, uh, so one of the key things that I'm doing in this is I'm putting a lot more emphasis on territory. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a set map with 48 claims. Hmm. And the, it, the number of claims you have is the cap on the tier of your faction. Hmm. Okay. Every okay, tier so is I'm... every claim is owned by someone. So you're working for one of these three primary factions. There's a bunch of other ones, but that are a lot bigger than you. Hmm. For now. <laughs> for now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you have given me okay, there's a set number of squares. Like there's 48 territories yep. total. Yep. And I can increase the amount that my faction has. By the end of this, I may decide that I want all of it. Yes. <laughs> you may. Okay. <laughs> uh, the other factions <laughs> might have other ideas. Well, that's a personal problem on their part, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Some of them may include gods. <laughs> Well, I guess that we'll makes just it your problem gods, as well. <laughs> Godslayer looks very impressive on the resume. <laughs> it does. Um, I I actually also have brought in. Uh, so the fun thing with Sega is I was able to drag in a bunch of other indie games. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, for instance, you can play. 
effectively the characters from Polaris uh, mm-hmm. in this setting. They're from the Plane of Ice. Right. Okay. Um, and uh, Mythender is also a standard profession within this setting. Okay. <laughs> uh, cool. So yeah, no, there there are just random people who just kill gods for kicks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm sure you get the hyper light drifter in there too. Why not? I mean, yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> stretch goals. Um... <laughs> it makes me think of like the Path of Exile quote of, "Well, I'd say praise the gods, but you seem to be going through them at an alarming rate." <laughs> <laughs> are, are these people that you've actively sought out to to work with because i know with um many of the primes again i think you had quite a few people that you had uh brought on board to write different yeah. worlds um uh, are you honestly doing i know a bunch of them so i got yeah. them specifically um there is a little bit about the uh mad city from um don't rest your head Okay. In there, there's there's also stuff baked in because nice. I was like, oh, I know these people. I can drag yeah. them into my multiplayer setting if they want. Nice. Sure. Great. Um, but yeah, no, I also uh uh dragged in a bunch of brilliant creators to work on uh elements of the game. Uh people mm-hmm. like Alex Roberts, who did a terrifying world uh someone inspired by sailor moon uh of uh where ev- their entire society revolved around crystals and they were incredibly uh harsh and unmerciful and judgy about everything <laughs> you know any imperfection and you will be destroyed wow right uh, so, like, th- there was some brilliant uh, stuff going on there. Uh, the place, uh, there was another one, which is the um, world where stars go to die. Hmm. The wow. problem is it has a, there's uh, a bunch of people who are feeling the immortality of stars. What? Uh, as they're dying. Me- Stealing the immortality of stars as they're dying. So effectively, um, when the stars are dying, uh-huh. people are desecrating their graves to steal their immortality. Wow, that's <laughs> fucked up. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I love these people. These are some amazing writers. I <laughs> for for a second there, I for for a second I was like, I thought it was like you were talking about like celebrities like going to die, like it's just no, like no, no. a retirement literal community stars. in Florida. <laughs> no, literal <laughs> stars. No, I got that afterward. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like, yeah. Like, all the celebrities go to this place. It's this horrible, like yeah. <laughs> it's like the valley, and they just they just yeah run museums. Um I don't know. Uh interesting. So you've got like these extra, so these are like the planes that are coming into focus in terms of like um, bringing in different elements into, into SIG and, and, and so, oh, okay. So interesting. So when you, okay. So when you bring out the faction map, does your faction map come like with a, like here's, here's all the factions and then you start in the, one of these three areas, or is it more like, yep. Okay, it's like that. Okay, cool. So, so it's uh, you know, um, 
Krakenhold. Mm-hmm. A the dockside pub serves sailors, dock workers, and the aquatic citizens of Sig. It's a boathouse owned by the riverkeepers. Okay. So it has the set claim benefit of boathouse, mm-hmm. which it you'll note is effectively one of the turf benefit, like right. the turf style territory benefits from Blades nice. in the Dark. Yeah. So they're all hard coded on what is the mechanical benefit it gives you. Mm-hmm. Uh, such as uh, this is turf, uh, mm-hmm. these are quarters, etc. Cool. That was something um, that, was, that always kind of like struck me as kind of like a little weak about blades is that it was like a, a nicely detailed setting, but like there wasn't this this nice mechanical bite to grabbing certain parts. You know, I, I like yep. that. Interesting. Yeah. So if you want Printer's Alley, mm-hmm. where all the newspapers, delicious broad sheets and hand-scribed tomes are produced uh, and the runoff is black as ink well you can but the sig gazetteer is probably going to be pissed at you mm-hmm. just saying mm-hmm. cool I like that that sounds That's, great that, that, that has, that you, I like that because you there's immediately goals and conflict like from the same yep the same part and that's yeah that's really nice do, do you feel like um so sometimes these the, the kind of these big settings can be a little bit unwieldy for gms this is like a risk with like forgotten realms for example right where yep. where it's just it's just steeped in lore how, so how do you kind of like keep that to a minimum and make it manageable so a lot of it is um so each faction uh So each faction is probably running at, what, uh, 100 words max? Cool. Okay. That's very digestible, uh, yeah. And usually the, uh, the locations in the city are two sentences. So it's very bite-sized. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, that, that helps reduce it. Yeah. Um, it also seems to me like because you have this overworld map that you can kind of say, well, you start at this location. So these are the factions yep. that are immediately next to you that you can mm-hmm. worry about. Like these are, these are the, the closest sort of rivalries that you might have. And yep. then as you're you increasing that territory, then you can worry about more of these other players or how the map is changing um, yep. outside yeah. of that. So that's, that's a really nice way of breaking in and saying, okay, we'll, we'll work out from here as opposed to just, you need to know all the players that are all happening right. in the city. So, and there's also things like, oh, so these are the small fish that right. you can beat up without major consequences. Mm-hmm. Oh Jesus, this is a tier five. They own this block. Don't right. mess with it. <laughs> right. I know you want that sweet, sweet marketplace, but no, it's not worth it. Right. <laughs> Yet. <laughs> yet yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah um and, and the uh fun little detail there is if you steal territory from someone mm-hmm. that can drop their tier without raising you yet hmm hmm so you make because more you have to actually yeah, max up your infamy to be able to advance your tier right right, right. 
So even if so, you there's a lot of like, oh, I'm gonna mm-hmm. drop the cap on other people. I'm gonna hurt other people, and it won't even be for immediate gain. Mm. Well, I like that. That's that's pretty sneaky. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so out of curiosity, is there any way to essentially lure forces or something from one area to another? Because like, if you have like that five-tier marketplace that this is not a good spot to attack right now. What if I created a diversion two blocks over and decided to take it while they weren't looking? My mind, that sounds you know, like an amazing mission. So, effectively, the uh, the core element of the heist, the job, etc., is baked into the mission phase. And it's where you do shit like that to be able to like, oh, we're going to go distract those forces over here so that we can walk in the back door and take over this marketplace. Great. Once we have the marketplace, that drops their tier and that'll make it much easier to get the next part. Exactly. And if we leave enough bodies, we might raise a tier as well in the process. (laughs) Do you have to leave a bunch of bodies, or can you just, you know, get like? I mean, the one giant was... body will do the trick as well. Okay. <laughs> I was curious if I could just, you know, make more of a statement by saying, "Okay, this was the manager," and for the next two weeks or so, you'll be getting a new package in the mail. With uh-huh. a different yep, that would totally work. <laughs> It's like it's like um, Firefly kicking the dude into the engine. You're just only killing one guy. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh-huh. Um, so uh-huh. strategically managing your infamy is an important step. Interesting, cool. It's a it's a very nice mix of that like the the meta elements of what we're all going to be worried about mechanically, but also this is exactly the kind of feel that you want for the game. Is that like okay, we can take a risk this time because we're going to try to like push ourselves to, to making a real claim, making a name for ourselves, which is yeah. great. Um, I had a, another question. It's kind of taking a different turn, but um, I, it sounds like with all these different um, uh, cultures that are present in SIG, um, that that creates sort of a dynamic of um, trying to have this, this different representation. And I know that this is something that um, I think I, I played, I believe the game is called Circles of Power that you had ran for a few people at Breakout Con. Um, and in that game, there was a big focus as well on the different communities that exist within the setting. Um, is this something that like you find is a theme for you and your designs that you want to focus on and emphasize on? And can you touch a little bit about how that plays into SIG? Yeah, so... I mean, that's a big question um, (laughs) for a lot of reasons. So one of the things that I'm trying to do as a designer is to use games as a way of teaching people how to deal with certain uh, situations or concepts. Uh, So how do you deal with um, conflicts of changing communities? Mm-hmm. where a new group of immigrants are pushing out the ex- existing established groups 
and you get that conflict between the newcomers and the established folks. How do you deal with um, groups of marginalized folks who are trying to whose goals are in conflict with other marginalized or underrepresented groups? So it's I, I'm trying to deal with a lot of those social and sociological issues by mm. giving a safe space for people to be able to explore that in fiction. So I design a lot of my games around that. Cool. Uh, one of my other games that I've recently designed is After the War, which is a mimetic science fiction horror game, which is 10 years after the Galactic War, the millions of survivors have settled on this frontier world. So everyone's running around with PTSD and it's an right. issue of how do you build a sustainable community when everyone's traumatized mm -hmm. and you know, everyone's lashing out at each other because they're dealing with trauma. Yep. That is mm -hmm. shockingly relevant in our current life. <laughs> yeah. 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 My, my, my game's all about that too. So like, I, I, totally yeah this, i'm gonna have to read this because this is like right up my alley like cool man i'm, I'm very glad that uh yeah cool circles of power after the war i'm gonna check these out yeah it yeah. feeds into what we were talking about a little bit before we even started this uh podcast where we we're saying that there's a lot of fertile ground for mm -hmm. um game development now where we're, we're addressing some of these themes and issues and mm -hmm. i like the way that you're approaching this and i i my experience has mostly been with the circles of power that you um, so I, I like to see that, that theme kind of appear in these other games. And it looks like that's really a space for you as a designer where you feel yeah. comfortable and ready to approach it. And I, I like seeing that, um, kind of expanded upon and growing in these different directions and appealing to people that like the blades in the dark feel and, uh, these other kinds of tones of games where you still get to see that representation of different. So it's very, very nice to see. Yes. That is the specific aspect that is effectively my uh, the core design element that I maintain. It's it's my signature. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. Because I want games to help people become better people. Mm -hmm. And help yeah, people explore cool. things that they can't explore in normal life. Yeah. Well, they kind of can to some degree. Hopefully, they don't have to. <laughs> yeah, like you really don't I hope want to. Run like I place. hope you don't have to deal with uh, a giant galactic war that destroyed the Earth. <laughs> I, I hope you don't have to deal with that. I like it feels like we're getting like close that. though. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> like I said, I hope. Mm-hmm. See, that's just yeah. what they want you to think. It, it already happened. We're just, <laughs> we're just basically in this big floating zoo now. Obviously, <laughs> it's really sad when you start going. Oh, you know what? The Matrix sounds optimistic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. fair. You mean I'm just yeah. a battery? <laughs> <laughs> Do you mind if yeah. we dive into some uh, publishing questions or? Sure, go for it. 
Um, I'm just curious because uh, as I was kind of doing some research, I found that I don't know if it's all of your work, but at least some of your work is under Creative Commons 3.0. And then yep. even, which is very um, open. Uh, it's only attribution. Oh, it gets it gets better. Yeah, and then then I read, and then after I think it looks like ten after ten years, you're just releasing to its public domain. Yep. Um, which I think is is awesome. Um, but I was wondering if you can speak to that, and also trying to make money off your work, and just how you felt uh, this affects you positively or negatively, um, especially as an indie designer. Yeah. So. Part of this is just a complete disgust with the nature of modern copyright, where copyright lasts as long as Mickey Mouse. Mm-hmm. Um, that's absurd. Yep. Mm-hmm. The original goal for copyright was that it would last 14 years to allow, uh, to encourage creators to create things. Now it's a um, 120 years after uh, something's been made uh, yeah. as a, for the benefit of the great-grandchildren or the corporation that wound up buying the rights. Right. Like, it, it's just not serving the purpose that copyright is intended to serve. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to partially make a statement and just say look i want other people to be able to use uh my work to create their own i want to be the foundation of greater works mm-hmm. uh, because i'm building off of existing uh sure. brilliant work as is so let's help build an ecosystem where we lift each other up yeah, yeah which which would be ideal I mean, there's the thing about like the game industry, not just tabletop RPGs, but video games as well, is that people play other games. Like you even talk to like really big game designers, like it's less so in like tabletop RPGs, but if you look at like video games, like somebody from Blizzard, it's like, they're playing they created starcraft 2 and it's like yeah but there are other rts games that they're going to play as well because they like rts games so they're going yep. to play the other ones they probably know half the people on the teams of the other other games that they're playing with as well like they're not really in competition it's the company right. that's in competition the actual designers not so much oh no they're they're all friends yeah, mostly, like ninety percent are friends, right. and then the other ten percent have blood feud. <laughs> that yeah, that's right. Right. yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> like I happen to be friends with probably like sixty percent of the indie game community, mm-hmm. and the other forty only because you don't know them yet. <laughs> oh, and the other forty is because they have other friends and they're and we're busy and like <laughs> exactly yeah. There, there's new people I haven't met yet. Um, yeah. but uh, 
yeah so uh, yeah there's a lot of communication and interaction between folks there's a reason why i have such a robust list of uh freelancers who've been working on my various products mm. because they're all friends i know them mm -hmm. um alex roberts was in my hometown and i gave her driving lessons <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's funny. I, yeah, that's a good thing too, though. I mean, it's nice that <laughs> people are working together instead of like, yeah, you know. Oh, absolutely. It's just oh. it's a very small world. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I just I think even though like with like, um, I felt sort of the same thing. Uh, in the sense of like, I've wanted to be very open with my work and accessible but um if someone asked me to use uh my work i would there to be very few situations where i'd say no um i can't even think of any realistically but even like knowing that i don't know i it was very hard for me or it, i guess i didn't do it but I, I was thinking it would have been very hard for me to put the cc whatever 3.0 or or anyone yep. in my work even though I know, like, like as the first project that um, monetarily, it's really not worth uh, anything. So I don't know. There's definitely like a mindset that's probably like indicative of of <laughs> the society we're in. But I was yep. very, very difficult to like um, get to the point where I'd be like, put this in that it's sort of anyone can do what they want with it. Um, so no, basically, uh, I'm just saying it, it's tough, but I applaud yeah. you for for doing it. It is absolutely tough. Uh, so uh, some of the actual thinking behind it for specifically the public domain. Mm -hmm. So all so uh, Spark, my first game, is going public domain in 2023, which is actually coming up shockingly quickly <laughs> if we can ever escape 2020. <laughs> um. Uh, that the, the verdict's still out on that one. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but um, I re I recognize one. Ten mm -hmm. years from now, I'll be a better designer than I am now. Mm -hmm. Right. So Hopefully. whatever I do now, uh, what I, whatever I do ten years from now, will blow my old stuff out of the water. Um, and secondly. I can still sell my own stuff, even if it's public domain. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, like, why not? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I would imagine at this point, anybody who's willing... I mean, like, it's, it's, not, it's still not that hard to get material for free, so anybody who would pay for it is going to pay for it you know like at this point we're in this economy where it's like i'm giving you money because i like what you're doing i want you to do and more i want more not, of what you do yeah 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 it's it's not like it's not like i can't get this for free right but like there's yep. an under i think there's a better understanding particularly particularly among the people where it's like you're you're giving the money to the dude it's not like you're giving it yeah. to the company <laughs> that yep. is like you want more <laughs> stuff yeah. from the dude or possibly the not dude Right. Right. Yeah. Hopefully the not dude. Yeah. If so, give them money. Give them money. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. For real. Yeah. If 
think a lot of people are aware of that, like, especially when it comes to things like Kickstarters. In a lot of cases, it's not even so much necessarily the game that they're creating. A lot of the time, it is like the individual's personality themselves that a lot of people do end up giving money to because they're like, I like you as a person. I like you on Twitter. And it's like, I think you deserve money for what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, <laughs> I'm a little it's kind of nice. Like it, it can be kind of nice. It's the kind of thing that bugs me personally, not for other people. Like I don't mind supporting other people for that, but it's the kind of thing that for me personally, I'd be like, are they actually giving me money because the game's good or are they just like me? Right, yeah. And that, that'd be the thing that would kind of bug me because I'd want to know that it, it was something that I had done, not who I was kind of thing. That I don't think it's that big of a... I don't think it's that likely, but there's always going to be that question kind of lingering that's like, hmm... But it's it's good for most people because most people don't worry about that. <laughs> I, also, I also think that there's the combination at play. Like I yeah. think that's why we have a Kickstarter environment where it's like I get to check out your game if I'm interested. I know that you're someone who who's trying to get this vision to reality, and that's that's the the current marketplace for a lot of indie game development with Kickstarters, saying like here here you go, like try this. I I believe in your vision. Like you go for it. Um, and even itch spaces where it's very much just like the the very like quick and dirty like we've put this this package together it's up for a couple dollars throw it my way because I'm just someone trying to make something fun um, and that kind of ecosystem I think is better for the ability to develop interesting games um, so there's there's probably a little bit of both at play but yeah there yeah the good games are there so we're we're making them and we're finding them. It's it's really exciting. Yeah, and we're building off of them very exactly. Quickly. Like that's the thing yeah. where there's a lot of iteration. Yeah, and support. Like so, like beautiful example. I just said that I was lifting some of the uh, Fallout system from the Spire from Rowan Rook and Decker. Yeah, mm-hmm. because I backed them on Kickstarter, and then I wound mm-hmm. up writing for them. Um, <laughs> shadow operations go buy their books. <laughs> um, uh, it's Les Miserables with Drow. I mean, <laughs> what's well, not to like? Yeah, <laughs> what's not to like? Um, it'd be really it'd be even better if they were like really French Drow, that'd be interesting. Really culturally French, Drower, Drower, Australian. <laughs> Um, Could we come from the land down under? Down under dark. (laughs) And everything's poisonous. I mean, everything works. Whoa. Lots of spiders. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of spiders. Oh, no. I'm half drow. Weird. So, so what's the drider equivalent of a koala? Terrifying. Like, you know how stupid koalas are? It's going to be easy to outmaneuver them. Yeah, well, they spend most of the day stoned, so there's that. I mean, eucalyptus leaves are soporific, so that's, that's why if you oh, don't, nice. if they stop having it, they get they get very ornery. 
Yeah, I can understand that. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, so we we're about? all working <laughs> off of each other. We're we're all working off each other's right. uh, yeah. work. We all know each other, and there's a lot of mutual support. We're funding each other's yeah. projects so that we can learn. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and just so um, cool games exist too. Like, like oh yeah. Just like there's so many, like just in the last freaking year, like there's so much cross pollination and like idea, like different games converging on similar subjects and taking it from a different angle. And like here's here's this kind of game in this setting, and here's this kind of game with these kind of mechanics. And here's like if you want to do a GMless version of this, and here's if you want to do like you know a right like rival players version of this where it's adver adversarial and. Yeah, it's just it's just cool because there's so many people working on different types of stuff. Like everybody's got this a different vision for stuff, and you know, we're finally getting. You know, it used to be you had to go to go through a publisher, and there was all these gatekeeping levels, and there was like this idea of like what would sell and wouldn't sell was was holding back like a whole I mean, clearly a flood of stuff. Yep. And so and so now we've and got now we have games where you're literally playing rocks LARPing or you're playing a wizard's tower that has mm -hmm. feelings about the people who are invading. Sure, why not? Yeah. I mean, uh, the last one makes way too much sense given the tendency <laughs> of <laughs> Or my personal favorite. I, I am going to put this down right now. My personal mm -hmm. favorite game is a real game by Aurabelle. So a real game is a game where you role-play as a role-playing game with imposter syndrome. It includes the statement of uh, cut holes in me and put me over another game. <laughs> Am I better now? Hmm. That's interesting. All right, I'm gonna check that out. Huh. Oof. Wow. Um. If it was so, true imposter syndrome, you wouldn't the, have to ask. That. You know the answer. Uh, <laughs> the IGDN, as the Indie Grand Groundbreaker Awards, we awarded a real game, game of the year, mm -hmm. back in like a 2017 or 2016. Because it was good enough. It was a real game. God damn it. <laughs> Amazing. Because we felt bad for the game. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> That's amazing. It's, it's getting it's into it's like a marginalized territory that even I'm a little uncomfortable with. <laughs> <laughs> so I, 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 I look at the spectrum of traditional to innovative. Yeah. And I am shocked at how it's not that I'm becoming more traditional. It's that the innovative wing keeps on going. Yep. I'm like, right. I was the innovative guy. Holy shit, what are they doing? <laughs> All right. Yeah. You go do that. <laughs> um Zero player games are particularly interesting. Um, yeah, some of them. Uh, so one of them was uh, Fight Truck. Have any of you heard about Fight Truck? 
No. No. Heard of uh, it, it, but I didn't actually check it out. So it is a game that was designed so that no one would ever play it. Okay. And it is a LARP where queer folk go in the back of a truck and beat each other up. Oh. <laughs> oh. I have heard about this game. I like in passing, it's I think. The same um base as Brenda Romero's train. Mm-hmm. Of like this is a thought experiment of what a game could be, right. but no one would ever play this game. Right. Yeah, art games. I mean that. I mean that's where I put yeah. those. So it's, it's like, like if this is a game designed to evoke a particular conceptual where, space. The, yeah, where yeah. the knowledge of the game is giving yeah. you an experience. Right. But you would never actually play the game. Mm-hmm. Play the game. There's a lot of real interesting stuff over there. It yeah, is that the experimental end of things. Yeah. You will totally win, but I will play the game with you. Cat <laughs> <laughs> and I are gonna go play the game. Just to just to prove everyone wrong. <laughs> <laughs> That's how contrarian we are. <laughs> Why? Um, <laughs> Just because we have to investigate that space too, right? That's the whole. That's the whole thing. Like, like if like every space is open for investigation, like even the really bad ideas. No, see, it's a spite thing for me. It's like if the point of this is that no one is ever going to play it, then I will invalidate the nature of the game by giving it a player because it doesn't want one. <laughs> nice. Um, um, I like I, I literally was trying to subvert a real game uh-huh. <laughs> by giving it an award. Yeah, yeah. Right, great. right. Yeah. 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 Right. Well, it, it, it's no, you cannot claim that it is now the thing that it is. Yeah. Right. So <laughs> it's too so, real a game. Well, speaking of this, we're, what are the trends that you see for yourself? Like, are there things that you feel that you are pulling like not only just with SIG, but um, in your your current designs that you're working towards, are there things that you're like, this is where I want to innovate and create more of that space for myself? So one of the particular areas of design that is currently fascinating me is asymmetric gameplay. Mm -hmm. So specifically the approach that's taken in Root, for instance, Mm. where everyone is dealing with different has different incentives is dealing with different systems yep. that hook into each other but in I an indirect to, way i tried to do something where everybody was different uh had differences well or there was two distinct systems going on and they interacted with each other and that game never happened so good job on the route <laughs> um so Kingdom, uh, which is now on Ooh. Kickstarter's Kingdom 2, yep. uh, is a brilliant example of that kind of gameplay. Where, uh, for anyone who is listening who is unaware, uh, the game has three roles. Uh, the power, the touchstone, and the... Perception, I think. Uh, something like that. Yeah. 
uh, like the advisor or something. So one person makes the decisions on what's going to happen. One person predicts what will happen if you say yes or no to the given uh, option. And a third person says how people think about it. So you wind up... Yeah, yeah, perspective. So you wind up going through and building up the pros and the cons on certain decisions for a society. Uh, and one, you get to figure out what the mass of people want, and then what the, uh, and then the decision maker has to look at all of that and make their decisions. Yeah. So they're all hooking into different elements of the fictional situation with completely different objectives. Right. It's been one of my... uh... Like one of my favorite games to point to for like uh, diceless mechanics, and but one of the hardest ones I've had uh, been able to like get the point across. You find it hard to explain, but like one of the best examples of really interesting um, tie-ins of diceless mechanics. Like I don't know, I just find it so elegant, actually. Is Kingdom the way? Yeah, it? Kingdom. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. 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 I, mean, I need to play more of it, honestly. It's it's good. There's <laughs> a real good tech there. Yeah. So sure. I'm assuming that, and I don't know if you've spoken to this uh, anywhere else, but I'm kind of assuming that uh, we're not seeing any more. Um, RPG design panel cast because of uh, no uh, no panels, <laughs> but so um, you will okay. But uh, there's a temporary uh, mess. So I have a handful of um, Gen Con recordings, okay, uh, which I'm going to be releasing shortly if I can ever find the time because preparing a kickstarter is time intensive (laughs) um but uh so i have those and then metatopia online uh will be occurring and we'll have a large number of panels there that i'll be releasing um but yeah no i have been in hiatus over the rpg design panel cast because covid yeah (laughs) yeah yeah and I mean, that's good to hear. It's honestly like one of, as I started designing, it was like one of the major touchstones for for learning design um, and still is, although I'm, I'm more choosy in what I listen to. There's definitely some repeat, but it's, it's still like the best collection of design uh, podcasts that exists, I think. Um, that is super fantastic because when you run a podcast, you never have any idea how much if it's yeah. useful for people, honestly. Yeah, yeah, yeah we don't know. <laughs> I, I'm like, so uh, so for scale, I'm running at like 400, 450 downloads per episode. Cool. Yeah. Nice. And I never know if that's good or bad. I think that's good. Like, Way better than I, us. That's all we can say. <laughs> I, like, I think that's good. I feel yeah. like when uh, you consider the context of like, 
game designers, it's got to be super. Yeah, uh, like that's a high percentage of game designers that are uh, analog game designers that are looking at that. Yeah. 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 Um, that because there's there's a lot of game designers, but you're looking at like you know maybe two three thousand people. But then again, to four hundred and fifty out of even say three thousand, that's still like a sixth of the total. Population. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of a lot. But uh... like, yeah. I'm currently at 263 episodes, and considering they clock in at an hour apiece, oh, it's a amount of lot. audio. Yeah, yeah. I'm have? sure I've consumed over 200 of them. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Um, again, it might not be all current game designers. You might be in, inspiring some that have not created anything, and they might because of it. So yeah. I think that's the most important part, really, is that it's not even did you necessarily help someone? It might be, did you at least inspire someone to go out and create something that they wouldn't have created? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that alone would be worth it. A lot of it uh, on with regards to that project is so a lot of these panels are occurring at Metatopia in Newark, New Jersey. So how many Malaysian game designers can make it to Newark, New Jersey? Yep. Probably not many. Not a whole lot. <laughs> yeah. Also, like... I want I... more Malaysian game designers to have the information that is presented yeah. in Newark, New Jersey. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and that's really exciting for this year, too, because Metatopia being online with ideally some recorded episodes or recorded panels which yep. means that this is so much more accessible because like, yeah. this has been a convention that I in Toronto, Canada want to go to, and I have a hard enough time fitting it into my schedule and justifying traveling to, to New Jersey. Yep. Now this is just opening it up to to the entire design community that's always been looking at Metatopia as sort of a benchmark of bringing their games here and learning from some of the best minds in the games industry in North America. So very exciting. Yep. It's going to be uh, particularly good. Uh, So one of the things that I've actually been doing while I haven't been running the panel cast in all of my free time that I apparently (laughs) have um, is something called the Game Design Lounge, which is a weekly, hour-long uh, video conference uh, where people uh, show up and effectively talk about various questions. Uh, who has a question to talk about? And, you know, four, five, six people will be chatting about whatever the given topic is. So I talked about asymmetric games on one of those uh, sections and we talked about it for 15 minutes and it w- it helped me dig into some of the elements. The reason why it's particularly useful is it because of the online format, it allows for a lot of discussion um, between people who could never normally communicate. So people <laughs> in uh, the Philippines are interacting with uh, um, 
Australian game designers and North American game designers, and in other time slots with French game designers. That's the kind of social web that makes games so fascinating. And I'm glad that that's coming together. Uh, we're actually going to be bringing that to Metatopia 2020 online. So cool. there's going to be an ongoing around-the-clock set of these lounges. So there will be lounges at 4 a.m. Eastern Time so that the folks in the Pacific can join in. Great. Yeah, that's good. Especially when you look at like areas that are that far apart, like the cultures are very different, especially in terms of like game design, like just the philosophy behind it. Like there's very large differences in terms of like what's considered to be like a good idea for things to explore, what's taboo topics, what's like what are things that are just considered to be a given? Mm -hmm. So it, it's it's kind of interesting to get these different uh, people from all over the world to discuss these things because you get really different answers just yeah. out of So much of just gaming and not even just game design is about perspectives. And the more you can account for that and bake it in and, and get these different ideas from all around, the better I think your design and perspectives are going to be yourself. So yeah. it's a great idea. Yeah, man. And just playing with social bonds, just mm -hmm. knowing people is mm -hmm. fantastic. Um, yep. So yeah. yeah, that's what I've been doing. With, well, the panel cast has been mostly dormant. Well, you know, that plus working on far too many games. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, well, in in the interest of possibly letting you get to sleep tonight, because I think you and I are probably in the same time zone. Mm -hmm. uh, yep. Are Are there any other shoutouts that you want to give for um, Sig and uh, the Kickstarter before we we wrap things up? So the selfish plug will be uh, SIG will be dropping on Kickstarter on October 5th, 2020, because this is a podcast. So 2020. Um, <laughs> and you can find it at kickstarter.games. Yes, www.kickstarter.games will direct you to my Kickstarter. Nice. <laughs> um, I own the URL. What can I say? Nice. <laughs> uh, so, uh, and the uh, less selfish plug is I recommend everyone follow um, More Games at the Table, uh, which is a uh, e uh, periodic um, email list of games um, that are new or old favorites from. Uh, women and non-binary creators um and it's a fantastic resource for all designers i strongly recommend everyone follow them very cool and that was more games at the table yep more games at the table awesome sweet we'll uh we'll definitely post the uh 
link in yeah. our uh, descriptions that find it. And uh, yeah, Jason, thank you again for coming on to our show and chatting with us about SIG. I think we're all pretty excited to see the Kickstarter and see the the products uh, on our computers and in our hands. So best of luck with the uh, Kickstarter and getting it out there. Thank you yeah. very much. And I thank love the conversation. So we should have more of these in the future. Oh, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, absolutely. I had a good time. And this is, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you... Uh, yeah, I'm really excited to check out like some of the other some of the other projects because I think like you, I this is a lot of stuff that I'm I'm really interested in and working on too. So it'd be really cool to like talk about this kind of stuff just design wise, like back and forth. It'd be really oh fun. yeah, um, yeah. Oh, uh, and one last drive by oh, yeah. plug. Um, <laughs> on one of the other projects I'm working on that should be dropping uh, in playtesting soon is called Fate of the Galaxy. Mm -hmm. uh, which I'm co-designing with my uh, friend Mark Richardson, who designed Headspace. Oh, cool! Uh, um, okay. uh, fun fact: we worked in the same office. I found a map of the Elven Kingdoms on the office printer. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and hunted friends. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, uh, so it's a galactic. Uh, Space opera politics game, uh, powered mm -hmm. by fate. Cool. So it's effectively you're all playing characters at roughly the power of Muad'Dib. Uh, you're all leaders of fringe systems, dealing with the more powerful uh, outer systems and doing all sorts of space politicy things, uh, setting in pirate fleets and that kind of thing. Oh. Awesome. That's exciting. Yeah. Okay, we're definitely going to have you back on to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> and Mark, too, I guess. Uh, yeah, that sounds awesome. Very exciting. Thank you so much for listening, everyone who is listening out there. Um, for uh, Mark, Catrice, Cavour, Jonathan, and Jason, and myself, Rob, good night. Because it is always night where you are, no matter where you're listening to this podcast or when. <laughs> good night. Good night. Hey everybody, thanks for listening. If you liked this episode, or not, we're not picky, leave us a review on iTunes or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Reddit, and, uh, and Pornhub. Because why not? Gotta go where your audience is, right? Good night, everyone. <laughs>